it's been it's been an interesting week for us, for sure. Um, I don't want to talk all about me, but I do. I do want to talk about something, kind of a side note I was thinking about during worship. It's interesting. We come we come in every Sunday and we sing these songs and these words are really good and it's, I always enjoy it. But there's something when you really you know what other people are going through or if you're going through something yourself, these words really dig a lot deeper. Have y'all ever experienced that? I've just I really felt that during worship that that um, that there are times when we we sing these songs and we kind of get in a routine about it. And I'm going to get into routines in a minute, but then there are times when we, we look, and it's, it's cool for me because I can see all of your faces. Y'all are all looking at me. So I see all your faces. I know most of your stories. And uh, even most recently, things that people are going through. And, and, I mean, we even prayed some this morning for some people. And, man, when you, when you sing about the hope that we have in Jesus, it's just, it's just so, so good. <clears throat> I'll just leave that at that. It's just really good. And I, I love you guys. All right. Um, something, something about new life is... is uh, are Daniel and Lauren still in here? Did they leave? I don't see them. They might have left. I'm surprised they were here. I didn't think they would be here with a new baby. Um, but they were, and I was like, hey, you have a new baby, and you're here. But what I noticed, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I couldn't help but see a baby when it comes in here. But I wanted to talk about life, and since I was talking about life, that's a brand new life. And there's, man, I kept, the analogies kept popping in my head about how, how that changes everything. The routines that we go through, I know Daniel and Lauren are not going to be the same. <laughs> We've already talked to them. We saw them in the hospital, and we've heard the stories about them, you know, going to the doctor and different things and, and learning new ways and sleep, different ways that we sleep or don't sleep. And and uh, and so they're just starting that journey. You know, Trace and I have been on that for a long time, and our kids actually sleep most of the night. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's interesting. It's, it's interesting that their lives are will never be the same. There's a new life that has, has really enveloped all of their attention, and it's a good thing. And what I thought was neat about that is it kind of rippled out to every one of us. And I thought, man, if anybody sees that baby, they're going to go check, right? Everybody checks out the baby. Let me see the baby. And that's what life does. Life just draws something to it. And I think what we've done a lot of times with the gospel is we, we get to the point of forgiveness for sins, and then we stop there, and we don't go any further. And what I want to kind of get to is I want to get through that because that's an important part, an extremely important part. But that's not the only part. That's kind of that's, that's the, the first step. And the second step is life. That Jesus came not just to die for our sins, but also to give us new life right now not just when we die and go to heaven one day. When Jesus came, he said, I came and I brought my kingdom with me. He said, look, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All he talked about was the kingdom and he talked about how important it was right now. That's why Jesus didn't come and say, hey, good luck with this life. You'll do all right (laughs) on the flip side. He said, look, I came and I brought my kingdom with me so that you could experience this abundant life now. Now, yes, we will see it in its fullness one day when we do change zip codes and we go on and, and we get brand new bodies, which I'm already needing at 42, but... I'll be glad to get a new one, but our spirits will go on living. You, this, is, this is the neat thing about God being outside of time and space. You received, when you received his Holy Spirit, you received eternal life right then. Like, boom, that's eternal life. That's the supernatural gospel. You received eternal life, not when you die one day and you're, and you're in these hopes. <laughs> sounds crazy, but you're in these hopes that you die one day and go to heaven. Well, yeah, we're all going to physically die one day, but we can experience the effects of heaven right now because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside us. We're going, to talk, we're going to go through Romans 7 and 8, and I'm going to try not to read. I'm going to, I may skip through some, but, man, there's so much in here, it's going to be hard not to read through the whole thing. And I'm reading from the message today just because I really like the way Eugene Peterson worded it. Um, it, it really, it, it's just so colorful, and I, it's really good. You'll see what I'm talking about. So we're going to start in Romans 7, 1. And this is Paul kind of struggling with 
real life things that he's dealing with and things that he sees going from the old covenant law into new covenant Christianity and into, into, into having Christ for life. In verse 1 it says, You shouldn't have any trouble understanding this, friends, for you know all the ins and outs of the law, how it works, how its power touches only the living. For instance, a wife is legally tied to her husband while he lives, but if he dies, she's free. If she lives with another man while her husband is living, she is ob- obviously an adulteress. But if he dies, she is quite free to marry another man in good conscience with no one's disapproval. Now, we can make this about marriage. They're not making this about marriage. He's, he's telling them you understand how it could have been Roman law. It could have been Jew. It, he's just making an example about this so that you can understand what he's about to say. So he's saying is when a man is alive and, and a woman is married to a man, they are bound together by marriage. When he dies, she is no longer bound to him and she can move on. That's all he's saying. And he goes on to explain why he said that in verse 4. So, so my friends, this is something like what has taken place with you. When Christ died, he took that entire rule-dominating, wa- rule-dominating way of life down with him and left it in the tomb, leaving you to marry a resurrection life and bear offspring of faith for God. For as long as we lived that old way of life, doing whatever we felt we could get away with, sin was calling most of the shots as the old law code hemmed us in. And this made us all the more rebellious. In the end, all we had to show for it was miscarriages and stillbirths. Wow. What does the law bring? Death. The, the end of, if you take the law all the way to its end, all it can bring is death. It, what, it's what brings us to Christ. It says, look, all, the, all that was left, all that we had to show was miscarriage and stillbirth. But now that we're no longer shackled to that domineering mate of sin and out from under all those oppressive regulations and fine print, we're free to live a new life in the freedom of God. Amen. What a powerful statement. When, when you, and we've talked about this before, when you tell somebody you're free to do whatever you want, if you have been bound by, by rules and regulations for so long, that's a very scary thing. And rightfully so, it should be. It was very scary for me. I, and, and most of us, when we begin to live a free life, we want to try to revert back and go, okay, well, I need somebody to draw the lines for me because I don't want to mess up, right? These are honest things that we deal with. Paul's dealing with these things right now. He's saying, look, I'm examining myself. I'm seeing I'm having some issues and things that I dealt with, and I don't fully understand what they are, but I'm going to play them out to you so that you can see how they are. I'm going to skip down to 13. Um, There's a lot of other good stuff in there. We just kind of save time. It says, I can already hear your next question. (laughs) Does that mean I, I can't even trust what is good? That is the law. Is good just as dangerous as evil? No, again. Sin simply did what sin is so famous for doing, using the good as a cover to tempt me to do what would finally destroy me. By hiding within God's good commandment, sin did far more mischief than it ever could have accomplished on its own. I can, anti- I can anticipate the response that is coming. <laughs> so he's saying, look, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're, I know what you're thinking. He's saying, I anticipate the response is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what's best, what's best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. Listen to this. But I need something more. He recognizes that even though he, he knows God's commands are good, the law is good and just and righteous. The law is not bad. He knows they're good, but the, the law just didn't have the power to make him good, righteous, and holy. And so he says, look, I see that I need them, even though in them sin came in and messed with me. He said, look, I didn't even know what coveting was. Sin told me not to covet. Now all I want to do is covet. 
<laughs> it's like, I didn't even know it existed. And now the law is telling me not to do it, and I kind of want to do it now, <laughs> right? We, we had some, some people over the other day in Trinity or somebody put a sign on our door that said, keep out. And I said, you know what? Every kid in here is going to see that sign, and they're going to want to go in there. I would if I was a kid. What's in there? Why is there a keep out sign on there, right? That's what the law prompts us to, to go. Well, why? Which, are, which is a good question. Why? And Paul's asking this. He says, look, the law was good. I know it's good. I tried to do the law, but I didn't, it didn't always work out the best for me. He says, no, I need something more. Verse 17, for if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help, right? I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do it, but I don't really do it. <laughs> I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in action. Something has gone wrong <laughs> deep within me and gets the better of me every time. So he's recognizing that law does what law does, and, it, and, it, and it, I, I always equate it to poking, y'all, if y'all hadn't heard my little poem thing that I wrote, it's like poking a beehive. Law poked the beehive, and all the sin came out, and I, there was too much for me to deal with. Sin was just too much for me to bear on my own. I wanted to. I desired. I remember years of just crying at the altar, just trying to remember sins from years ago so that maybe I would be okay with God, not knowing that when he first came to live with me, I was already okay. So there was this repetitive, there was this repetitive frustration within myself that I, I was never going to be good enough, which is, which is how we act when we're married to the law. We're married to the law. We're, we're never good enough because the law is perfect, and it's very frustrating. Amen? Is it, is, it, is it not frustrating to try to be perfect? Am I the only one that has really tried hard to be perfect and been frustrated? No. Paul was. Paul was frustrated, so I'm okay. Take a deep breath. Paul was frustrated. The writer of most of the New Testament was frustrated at this. He says, listen, it happened so regularly that it was predictable. Anybody? This happened so regularly that he could predict that it was going to happen in a certain amount of time. How many of us have, have tried to build, and I, I, I love Brian, one of his first messages, he, talked, he called it a house of cards. How many times we built this house of cards, and then we would mess up, and our house of cards would fall apart, and we would start building it back up again. What a miserable, what a miserable place to be trying to do all this on our own. This happens so regularly that it's predictable. It was like a routine. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. <laughs> I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not... All of me joins in that delight. Part of me covertly, uh, part of me covertly rebel, rebel. I can't, t- I can't talk today. Rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. <laughs> Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? I'm at the end of my rope. Paul's saying, look, I've tried everything that I can think to try on my own and nothing's working, and I'm at the end of my rope. Here it is, verse 25. The answer, (laughs) thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Now, I love the wording here because it, it... Paints a, be, paints a clear picture, I think, of us being pulled by sin. If you're born again, you don't have a sin nature. Your sin nature has been killed. It's been buried dead. You don't have to kill it over and over again. Just like Hebrews we talked about Wednesday night. 
The priest would go over and over and over again, and none of, none of it was good enough. Bulls and go- the blood of bulls and goats was not good enough to take away the sin, but one sacrifice was and one sacrifice only, and Christ cannot be sacrificed again, right? So that's a done deal. So your new nature is not to sin, but sin still has a pull, right? Sin still has a pull. Where? Right here. This is where the, the Americanized version of Christianity that I learned early on, not even Christianity, the Americanized version of uh, emotions and thought was your heart has all your emotions and your thought is your logic. And so it's like, okay, well, fall in love. You can fall in love and that's okay, but make, make sure you use your mind. Well, all the way through Scripture, it talks about Jesus coming into our hearts and hearts being the center of our universe. And I'm not going to go into that whole, that's a whole different sermon about how the heart has its own firing system. It's why we can be brain dead and our heart still functions. It's because the heart is actually the source. The heart actually responds quicker than our brain does to things. Your heart will begin to race before your brain even recognizes there's danger. And there's clinical proof of it. I've looked it up. I Googled it. It's on the internet. It's got to be true. But the heart, the heart in and of itself, is, is, it's like it's, own, it's got its own brain. And so what it's saying is, when God took your heart of stone out, that wicked heart that's deceitful, deceitful above, all way, above, above everything, when he took that out, he gave you a new heart and he wrote his law on your heart, a new heart of flesh that you can now feel, that you have life in, that's not just a heart of stone, that's just rules and regulations. This is why when we do ministry, we don't do ministry for the sake of doing ministry. Ministry is birthed from relationship here. If you don't have a relationship with people, you may not be, need to be doing ministry with people because you don't know how to minister to them. Let's be, let's be serious. If I just get up here and tell you, you guys how to live and how not to live, how do I know what's going on in your life? If I'm just giving, if just, if I'm just giving out three steps to a better life, I'd be a good motivational speaker, which I'm not, but I'd be a good motivational speaker and you might do better for a few weeks, but then what happens when I'm not there when my system breaks down, which all of them do? Where's Christ in that? Where's the Holy Spirit in that? This is why... The relationship we have with the Father births relationship with other people, and from that place we can actually minister. This is why when my, I, I get into debates with different friends and pastors about different things, and they'll ask me, well, they give me these, <laughs> these hypothetical scenarios. Well, what if this person was doing this and they were in your church, and what would you do? And I would say, I have no idea. I don't know. Who is this person? I don't know them. I don't know what they're going. I don't know what they're dealing with. Well, it doesn't matter. No, it very much matters. It very much matters what people are dealing with because God cared so much that he came down to walk with us and to hang out with us and to see what we dealt with, not from a distance like the first covenant written in stone, but he came down to be with us and to, to, to very carefully and surgically place his laws in our heart. That's the Christ that I know. That's the Holy Spirit that moves me. He says, this is the answer. It's Jesus Christ, and he can and do these things. He can and he does these things. Uh, I love the analogy Mark used a long time ago about the, uh, and I heard another one this morning. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the other one because it's kind of funnier. The other one's more serious. So I'll give you the funny one first and the serious one. Uh, the one I heard this morning, uh, Brian told me that Andrew Farley said it was, uh, if you were out here speeding and you got pulled over by a state trooper and you died before he got to your car, would you still be, would you still be under the law? Would you still be taken to jail? No, you're dead. Are they going to throw cuffs on you and drag you? Stop resisting. Stop resisting. <laughs> No, you're dead. You're dead to the law because you're dead, right? Now, another analogy that Mark used to use and I really liked was a woman that's been in, I don't want to say an abusive relationship, and in a relationship with someone who expected perfection from her, a husband who expected perfection from the wife, and the wife could never live up to those expectations. That's a pretty miserable place to be in if you're a wife trying to live for a husband that's never satisfied with you. That husband dies, and she marries someone who is different, who builds her up and, and loves her, and, and, uh, and treats her well, would she, would she go dig her old husband up and prop him up in the bedroom? 
No. As a reminder, right? As a reminder of the way that I should act. That's, that's the difference between Old Covenant law and New Covenant Christianity. In the finished work of Jesus, we don't look back, we don't look back at the grave and, and, and the, the old life of who we were. This is the, the whole dual identity I struggled with for years was, am I clean? Am I dirty? What am I? I don't know what I am. When the Holy Spirit's constantly telling me, you're clean. <laughs> you're clean. Why are you stressing out about this? You're okay. And this is why we remind each other of who we actually are. The Bible says us, the, the Holy Spirit is even above our own conscience. Our own conscience isn't even good enough to, to help us. The Holy Spirit has to remind us, listen, you are good because of me. When God poured his wrath out on Jesus, said it pleased him to crush the son. Not that he wanted to kill his son, but he knew the outcome of it. The reason it pleased him is because he knew that he would have a restored relationship with you. He knew that after this happened, that he would have a restored relationship with all of us. That's the goal. Heaven one day when you die is not the goal for the Christian. Gasp. It's good. Oh, man, it's good. I can't wait to get there. It's going to be amazing. But the goal is restored relationship with the Father. And a result of restored relationship with the Father is you get to go live with him in his kingdom. If I had a... I didn't, my father wasn't around when I was younger, but if I... If I had a... <clears throat> If I had one hope, it wouldn't be to inherit. He liked horses, so I don't care anything about horses. But let's say he like, let's say he was into jet skis and, and motorcycles and cars like I am. Let's just hypothetically, let's just say he was, and he had all these things. It would I would not be searching for all these things when he died. I want, I would have rather had a relationship with him. Does that make sense? I would have rather known a father than to just know his kingdom. Now, the kingdom comes with him. Bonus. It's good news. It's all good news. This is why I don't understand when people feel beat up when they leave churches sometimes because I can't imagine a preacher getting up and saying, hey, I've got really bad news. Jesus died for your sins and he gave you new life. <laughs> what? Why should I feel bad about that? It's because on the, on the back side of that, we want to try to tackle on law and say, okay, well, now you need to do these things. No, you don't need to do anything. You need to live from him. Amen. Jesus said, all I do is what I see the Father do. He was the prototype. You know the WWJD bracelets? WWJD bracelets? Um, don't, do, don't try to do what Jesus did. Jesus is with you. You were together. This is, I actually had a conversation with someone the other day, and I love, I love conversations no matter how they seem at the time. They are always beneficial, especially when you're talking about relationships in the Lord. And uh, it challenged me a little bit to think about the whole he and I and me and him or, or less of me or more of him or vice versa. And what I discovered in, in, in much praying is there is there's the supernatural thing that's not 50-50 or 40-60 or, or any way. It's 100% me and 100% God. It's 100% you and 100% God. It's totally supernatural. It's not me and him or him or me or more of one or the other. It's both together. It's more of us. It's like sweet tea is another thing Brian talked about in one of his messages. It's like sweet tea. When you mix it together, it's just sweet tea. I always think it's funny when I say I want some unsweet tea. How do you have unsweet tea? You sweeten it and take the sweetener out? That's just tea. <laughs> but we live in the South, so you have to ask for it sometimes. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> the sweet tea is sweet tea is sweet tea. It's, once you mix it all together, it's, it's one thing. Listen, when you are together with the Holy Spirit, it's us now. It's, you, it's, you, it's we together. And so when we move, we move together. 
When Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing, it's because they were close. When it says sin draws, that's from the outside, not from inside anymore. The new covenant says, listen, all the wrath was poured out on Jesus, so there's no more wrath left. If there was, then Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough. If we take it to its end, we have to take everything to its end. If we say that there is something more that I can do on top of what Jesus did, then we say that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough. But it was, wasn't it? But Justin, why do I still have some of these thoughts? Bingo, thoughts. That's not who you are. Those are thoughts. The Bible says take every, every thought captive. Why? Put it against the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will say, why are you thinking about that? We think of sin as, as an escape. Most sin, I would say all skin, skin, sin. I could go, I'm not going to go that direction. All right, all sin, all sin is, just, is just trying to escape the reality that you think you're in. The problem is you don't know what reality you're really in. If you're in the spiritual reality, then you don't have to try to escape anything. Sin is just a trust issue saying that God's not going to supply my needs for me, so I need to go on my own and supply those needs for me. And being sin-focused will just lead you to sin more. Being God-focused leads you to sin less by default because you're just thinking about him all the time. It's like, hey, this is better than that. I could go back and live a lesser. I'm not going to tend the grave. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's get to this, Romans 8. Romans 8, 1 says, uh, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, he goes on to give the solution. He's given the issue. He's saying, I struggle with this. I see that I have, I've got all these issues that are, that, are, um, that, are, that are causing me problems. He's giving you the solution. He says, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. Now stop right there for a minute. This low-lying black cloud created an image in me that I've seen since we just we recently got satellite, and I hate satellite because I hate commercials. But uh, occasionally I don't record something, and I can't fast-forward through it, and I've got to watch these depressing, um, uh, depressing commercials about depression. <laughs> and I'm not trying to make light of depression. I know people struggle with depression. Some of us have to, to, to go through some of these things, but it's... It made the, 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 med- the medication they were given made the cloud smaller, but it still followed them around. I was like, I don't want the cloud at all, <laughs> you know? I want a solution to the problem. Not, and I understand sometimes it takes that to get to a place so you can have a permanent solution. I get that. So don't come, please don't come beat me up afterwards. I understand. But what I'm saying is you could, you could reduce the law to what was palatable. <laughs> Let's say, I'm, I'm just going to say it that way. You can. But all it does is cheapen the law and make you look like an idiot. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, if you want to cheapen it, that's what, that's what, and Jesus talked about this in a lot of other places. He was like, okay, if you wanted to bring it, oh, I'm not going to get into that. I'm just saying, if you want to bring it down to something that was more palatable, you would, which most of us do in, in any religious setting, we'll bring it, we'll, we'll draw our arrow and poke it somewhere and then draw a bullseye around it, and that's our new religion. But it's so, it's so that we, we, find, we find the laws that fit us, and that's the problem with it is, we can't find that. That's not life. That's structure. We always say we want life begging for structure, not structure begging for life. Going back to the, the Daniel and Lauren thing, they're having to understand some new structures because they have new life, right? They didn't go, you know what? We're going to do all these things perfectly, and then everything's going to be great. No, that doesn't work that way. If you have kids, you know it doesn't work that way. That's how denominations work. It is. Don't, oh, that's a different thing. I don't want to hear I don't want to go too far down that road. All right, let's focus. Low-lying, low-lying black cloud. <laughs> a new, listen to this. This is good news. A new power is in operation. 
the spirit of life in Christ. Like a strong wind, this magnificently cleared, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you <clears throat> from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. Basically freeing you from, yeah, freeing you from everything he was just talking about. Verse 3, God went for the jugular. <laughs> I love that. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as, some, as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. Amen. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always, always ended up being used as a band-aid of sin instead of a deep healing of it. Let that sink in. This is why sometimes when we begin to see the freedom that is in Christ, it hurts a little bit like ripping the Band-Aid off. Uh, Paul White talks of like taking grave clothes off. It's taking our grave clothes off. Saying, okay, you're, you take a deep breath, you're free. And you go, okay, well, what do I do? I don't know, what do you want to do? Oh, don't ask me what I want to do. No, what do you want to do? Okay, well, this is what I want to do. Well, why do you want to do it? These are good questions. This is why when we say, okay, well, what, what does grace produce? Grace produces what's in your heart. It's always going to produce what's in your heart. That may be good or bad. That's not up to me. That's, that's, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. If grace produces in you something wicked, then you need to deal with your heart, your heart issue first. Amen. From that place, everything else comes from. It's like cutting grass. I'm getting tired of cutting grass, but I like having green grass. If I didn't, I would pull them up by the roots, and you wouldn't have to deal with them anymore, right? That's how weeds are. The root, <laughs> am I talking too fast? We have to get to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is we had a wicked heart. If you're born again, you don't have it anymore. From the place of a, of a new heart, of a new covenant, of a new life in you, gives birth to new life around you. Amen. Listen, I don't want to keep using Daniel Lauren. Just, just, we'll just say this. Not okay. okay, yeah. <laughs> Love produces life. We'll leave that at that. Love produces life. And, gen and spiritually speaking, it's the same way. When you genuinely have love for people, and I've told you all this before, when I, when I first started going to church, I was so excited about learning all this stuff that I didn't know anything about and really digging deeper into Scripture and going through some of the, uh, the uh, discipleship programs of how to like win people to the Lord and just, you know, roam through Romans and all these different things. And I would go to Walmart and make people feel uncomfortable and ask them if they're going to hell and these different things. Well, here's the Lord was gracious enough to use even my, you know, my ignorance in that to, to do great things. Same thing when I, when I fell into a lot of the, um, I, I don't know, I fell into a lot of different things. But here's, here's where I ended up. I didn't care about those people. I genuinely, being honest, I didn't care about any of the people I was talking to. I felt like it was what I was supposed to do so that God would be happy with me. And that's a problem. That's a problem with ministry, at the sac a sacrificing relationship for ministry. There's, there's no place for it. It's not how God did it. It's not how Jesus did it. He walked the earth, and he saw somebody that needed something. He gave it to him. He reacted to, to what was going on. He met Nicodemus in, down a dark alley. He met him on his terms. And he even loved the Pharisees. Even though he was frustrated with them, he loved them too. Different sermon. Focus. Instead of a band-aid, it's a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Where? Where is the Spirit doing it? In us. In you. Not outside trying to pull it in. He's in you. There may be outside things that are trying to influence you, circumstances that are trying to, to push you to react to them. Our reaction should be based on our source, not of everything that's going on around us. This is where the, the prosperity gospel have issues with. Well, 
I agree with the prosperity gospel and the prosperity as Jesus. It's not as funny because <laughs> the prosperity gospel that most people hear is do this and you'll get this. The problem with that is we actually reap what Jesus sowed. It's a little upside down kingdom the way that he did it. It's not do this so that you can get this. It's he did that already so that you can receive it. We talk about all the time if you have problems with patience or kindness or joy or any of the fruits, ask the Lord. He's got them. He's the one that says that that's what I want you to do. He's not asking you to do it on your own. Remember, it's not him and us. It's not him and me. It's us together. I love that the the other version about carrying the yoke and the message version says, walk with me, talk with me, watch how I do it. He says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And so it's like, we're going to go this way. Okay, now we're going to go this way. Now we're going to go this way. And so it's walking and talking with God day to day. This is, this is why it's so important because you don't know, and we always talk about the waitress or the person here or there. It's not that we're just going out so that we can try to, um, what, what did you call it, Ben? Was it soul winning? Is that what y'all called it? It was, it was a, kind of a program of soul winning, which has very good intentions. But what's, what's even better is when you can do that totally naturally in life. When you can sit down at a dinner table and see someone across from you and, and the Holy Spirit prompts you that they're going through something and you need to talk to them about it. You go, this is weird, but. That's <laughs> how most of my conversations start with people when the Holy Spirit prompts them. Like, this is weird, but I feel like something's going on. Can I pray for you for something? And nine times out of ten, they're like, Bleh! you know. <laughs> and it's great, and it gives a good time of ministry, and, it, and it's awesome. It's not all the time. And then there's other times when I just hang out with people, and we, we watch John Wick or something, and we enjoy each other's company, right? I mean, just we, we have over, overcomplicated this thing. We've really overcomplicated this thing. I'm getting off topic. Focus. Five. Verse five. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessing with measuring their own moral muscle but never get around to exer- exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them. You, you see a pattern here? His spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out in the, into the open, into the spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. <laughs> but if God himself has taken up residence, where? In your life. You can hardly be thinking more of yourself than him. Listen, if you carry, and I believe you do if you're born again, you carry the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, you can no more be self-centered for very long than anybody that I've ever met. You, you will realize very quickly how... I'm not sure I understand. Whoa! <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> Siri didn't understand what I was saying. It was funny, she... It must have hit the button, and it, it's, it's spelled out everything that I just said on my watch. <laughs> I'm going to go back at that and laugh. All right, later. <laughs> so, <laughs> but if God himself, man, squirrel. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Any, <clears throat> anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life, 
on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. This is present tense, not someday when you die. This is right now. Verse 12, so don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. (laughs) God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is, and we know who we are, Father and children. Listen, if you hear nothing else, hear that. The old life, the old sin life that you gave up when you came into this new resurrected life, when you were born again, is dead as doornails. We don't live a grave-tending life just tending to the grave of our dead life. We... You have currently, this is where I I have beef with people that come at, especially people that preach uh, New Covenant Christianity or grace in general, is that, well, well, then everybody's going to be apathetic. If if it's finished work, if Jesus did it all, what do we need to do? What what is there to do now? Come on. Come on. I don't even have time to argue that anymore. There is plenty to do. Plenty to do. Listen, this this is not a focus on your old nature and your old sin type of life. This is an adventurous life where you get to go out and you are free to be who God created you to be, and he calls you up into your real identity, your true identity. When Jesus came, he reconciled Adam's failure, right? What did Adam and Eve do with with God before the fall? They walked with him. They talked with him. They loved each other. His his command to them was to to reproduce. They loved each other. They gave birth. They, they, They produced life. I guess they farmed. But they had life and they walked with Jesus. Listen, when, and I've done this example before where you drop a book off. If you restore it, you don't put it somewhere else. You put it back where you got it from, right? If I dropped a book off of here and I said restore it and you moved it over there, that's not restoration. But if you move it back here, it's back in the garden. It's, we're, we're back good. We're, we're back right, right here with God. That's a huge thing. From that place should develop much life. Much life for you, but listen, you're a conduit for it. You're not a reservoir. I keep seeing these posts pop up on Facebook of these kids getting sick from the bacteria in the Gulf. Listen, that happens usually in warm areas when it's dorm, when, when things don't move enough. That's how we have to be careful when, when we don't share this love that God has. It becomes dormant, and it's not good. It doesn't benefit anyone around us. It actually makes us feel sick. <laughs> Listen, you're a conduit. You're a conduit. You're a conduit, whatever that word means. You're a conduit of God's love. You receive his patience, love, and kindness, and you give it out freely. It says, freely I receive, freely I give. We're an R, we always say we're an R&D church, receive and distribute. This is a simple gospel. Very simple. Another shameless plug for Wednesday nights. Simple gospel. But not this week, because it's 4th of July. God bless America. Roll Tide. America. All right. Let's review. And I, I really didn't plan on going as long as I did. I really wanted to talk more. We don't have a, we, we're kind of running late, though. We'll see if we want to do Let's review. We want to do good, but we can't, right? 
<laughs> this is what Paul's talking about. The law is good, but it can't help me either. <laughs> Jesus can and does by his spirit. Where does he do it? In you. Your old life with all of its sin nature was killed and buried with Christ. Your new life was resurrected with Christ, confirmed by the Holy Spirit, and you have power over sin. You have power over sin. Listen, before Jesus came and gave us a new life, you didn't have power over sin. You had no alternative. Now you do. Sin no longer has power over you. Can it pull? Yeah, it can pull, but it has no power over you. All right, let's talk about it. We, got, we still have about five minutes. What do y'all think? Yeah? <laughs> yeah, good. That works. Y'all can't go anywhere. It's raining. Let's talk. We're not going to be that long. Yeah, go ahead. We even got a mic. We'll put it on the podcast. Your hand. Carol, right there. <laughs> I didn't see it. When it went <laughs> you're, you're talking about um, soul winning. And um, I, I remember this event. This is fun. 20 years ago, I guess, probably. We were at a revival service that kept us into the wee hours. So we stopped at the Whataburger, and it was pretty full. And there was a group of kids that came in. And this one kid was drunk as Cooter Brown. He was just loaded. <laughs> and we were in line near each other. And I just, I, I, you know, I just felt really full of the Holy Spirit. And I looked at him and I said, are you going to hell? <laughs> Now, this was a, you know, a black teenager, and I'm this old white woman. And he, and he sobered up. I mean, just, he sobered up, and he said, no, ma'am, I am not. I'm a, and I said, well, I want you to know that God loves you and has a plan for your life. Oh, yes, ma'am. It was amazing. So there is a place for soul winning if Holy Spirit is the one doing the soul winning. Right. I agree. <laughs> Who's Cooter Brown? I was, I was thinking the same thing when she said it. I always hear that, and I've ne- I don't even know who Cooter Brown is. Okay, there's a passage in 2 Corinthians 3 in the Message Bible. says in verses 9 through 11, it says, If the government of condemnation was impressive, how much more about this government of affirmation? Bright as the old government was, stop, Andrew. it would look downright dull alongside this new one. If all that makeshift arrangement impressed of how, how, much, how much more this brightly shining government installed for eternity? Wow. So, like, I guess what it's talking about is that under the old covenant, it was all about condemnation. In this new covenant, it's all about affirmation. affirmation. The Lord building us up into who we are. So, going along right. with what you were saying. Right. Paul says it later, too. So. And that's the thing. when <clears throat> the, the truest thing about you, and uh, Steve Eden says this all the time. So the truest thing about you is what God says about you. So the, the issue we run into a lot of times is we think, high, we think more highly of other people than we do ourselves sometimes. And we'll sit around and beat ourselves up constantly. And we don't, we don't think very highly of ourselves. And the problem with that is if Jesus lives with us, he thinks pretty highly of us, right? So we have to, we have to begin to understand that it's not a, not a self-righteousness. Now, be, let me be clear. It's not a self-righteousness that I've done anything on my own. But it's knowing that God loved me so much that he came to live with me. And that should build you up in your confidence. That should build you up in, in, in knowing that you are a new creation in Christ and you should be comfortable in that. That's why I, I always joke around about the whole comfort zone, get out of your comfort zone. Well, the Holy Spirit is a comforter. You don't need to get out of your comfort zone. You need to stay with the Holy Spirit 
but, and I understand what most of them are saying too, but you should be comfortable in every situation if you have the Holy Spirit because you should be moving and operating from that place, not reacting to the things that are around you. So if the Lord tells you pack up and move somewhere else, then you should be comfortable doing so. If you aren't, then you need to check with your Holy Spirit. <laughs> say, are you sure you want me to do this, right? I'm about to put my house on the market. I don't know if you want me to move. Are you sure this is what you want me to do? So the whole thing about being comforted, the Holy Spirit is the comforter and helper in leading us. So we should be communicating moment by moment daily. So it says pray without ceasing, not, not just say prayers constantly, but constantly be in communion with the Holy Spirit all, all the time. Yeah, Pam? I just want to read something out of the Passion Translation. It lightens up grace for me, this translation. But it, and it uh, emph- emphasizes what you've said. But the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. It says, and you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back to the fear of never being good enough. But you have received... The spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join with him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father, for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost beings, You are God's beloved child. Wow. That's good. Listen, my job as a father is to make sure that my kids are know that they're safe and that they're loved. That's our, that's our main priority is to make sure that they know that they're safe and they're loved. And my next priority is to help them become who they were called to be. That's your father's same, same position your father is to do that with you, is to make sure that you know that you are loved and cared for and then for you to, to reach your potential in, in who you are and who he's created you to be. Listen, I, yeah. That reference was Romans 8.14. Okay, Romans 8.14. Um, but nothing... And many of you know, I've had lots of surrogate fathers over the years. Nothing was more radically transforming to me than understanding that I was a son. And we've, we've talked about sonship for years. But there was nothing more inwardly transforming, not outwardly. We talk about outwardly constraint. Listen, the law can constrain you for a time period, but inward transformation is real transformation. When the Holy Spirit comes to live with you and transforms you from the inside out, no one can convince you differently. You're not going to be argued theologically out of it. This is who you are. You can't argue my identity out of me. I'm a son, right? And you're a son. You're a daughter. You can't argue that. That's not a, it's not a doctrine, a theology, or anything. That is an identity in who you are. If you're in Christ and Christ is in you, no one can take that from you. We can talk about different ways this looks. And that's the, I didn't get to, and we'll, we'll maybe continue next week on it. Um, but there's, there's lots of things that we can ask, and so usually what prompts is, well, okay, what does that look like? Or what do I need to do? What do I need to do? That's a good question most, most people ask when you give a message. Okay, well, what do I do then? When I leave here, what am I supposed to do? I don't know. I can't tell you exactly what to do. It's who you are that, that determines what you're going to do. Your belief system will, will give birth to every behavior that, that you have, not the other way around. If I just try to control your behavior, I don't know what's going on inside. Then you're just a bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> Right? If we just say, okay, well, act this way, dress this way, go to church on these days, give this much, then you're going to find you're going to build your faith on that. And if that ever fails you, which it can, systems fail. Jesus doesn't because it's life. Died, took away your sins, and he gave you new life. He didn't die, take away your sins, and give you a church building and a program. And you know what I mean? This is why we're, 
I'm not, don't, I'm not anti-church. Don't, don't make it sound bad. I love church. Church is awesome. But the, the, the building and the, the system in and of itself is not where you find life. It's in Christ. It's in the Holy Spirit. Stand up with me. I'm going to preach a whole other sermon over here. I think it stopped raining. Y'all might have a little wink of time. Lord, I just thank you that uh, we can come in this place, Lord. We can laugh together. We can cry together, Lord, that we can focus on you for a time. And, Lord, I pray that that's extended throughout our week. Lord, I pray that every week that we come in this place, it's a celebration of everything that's happened outside of these doors. Lord, that we can, we can be reminded as we, <clears throat> as we do walk out these doors that our eyes, and our, open, our eyes and our ears are open to see the people that need you around us. Lord, that it's not burdensome to us, but it's a joy because in it we find real life. Lord, as the, more that, the more that we give away, the more that we find ourselves to be really happy. Lord, and we see that the, the, the sin that tries to lead us away, we know the end of that is death. We know the end of it is, is frustration and aggravation and pain. And Lord, we don't focus on that, but we focus on you. And Lord, I thank you that in, in that supernatural way, uh, the more we focus on you, the less we even think about sin. Or the more we see opportunities to find real joy, not, not laced with shame or guilt, but with affirmation and love from a loving Father. We thank you, Lord, that you are God the Father, not the Godfather, <laughs> and that you treat us accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen.